Thank you, Gary. And thank you, family, for singing and leading us in worship. And um, boy, it's nice to see you. Can I just look around for a minute here and see people here? Because the last time we were here, you were just, all I could see was from here up. <laughs> and uh, I know some of you are wearing masks. That's perfectly fine, and it's okay. We need to do what we need to do, right? And, and that's, everyone is respected, and that's really good. You know what? I can't help but uh, think of Ron Seabrook when I come here. I hope it's okay for me to mention that because just he's my good buddy. We took a bunch of trips to Africa together, and I miss him, and I know that you do as well. And the Lord, in his sovereignty, saw fit to, um, to uh, graduate Ron and take him home, well, I think, early. But God's really smart, you know. He knows what he's doing. So we rest in him, don't we? I mean, where else do you go? We rest in the Lord for sure. Um, so I want to say a, a word now about um, Vision Ministries Canada. Ruth and I are heading to the East Coast to visit some churches there that are affiliated with Vision Ministries. Gord Martin, who I think grew up or has something to do with Wallenstein here, <laughs> he started Vision Ministries. But um, I want you to know that there are some connections through Vision Ministries with what's happening in Ukraine and Poland right now. And Honestly, it's kind of ripping my heart out to see what's happening over there and what can we do? What can we do? But we can do something. So I'll just tell you that where Ruth and I have been the last year is Community Bible Church up uh, in Lucan, uh, north of London. And that little church raised $18,000 just recently and sent it to Brian Jose, who is a Vision Ministries pastor the other side of Toronto. And Brian, as a kid, started out smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe. Uh, and then he continued over there to be a missionary there for many, many years. Now he's back here and pastoring a church. But he has connections with all these churches in Poland, which sort of dot the border with Ukraine. Are you with me? So, and they're getting thousands of people, you know, fleeing from Ukraine all the time. So Brian is... Uh, Brian took this money through his mission called Radstock and um, has been sending it over there and it's been used to help fund these churches receiving people who are you know, fleeing from Ukraine. And uh, the message is that their churches are just filled. People sleeping on the floor, they've got mattresses, they're feeding them every day, they're doing Bible studies with them, people are coming to know the Lord and being baptized and God in the midst of abject, most ter terrible thing you can imagine, God is still at work. Do you believe this? <laughs> that in the midst of tragedy, the Lord is still finding opportunity to reach out with his goodness and his love and his care. And, uh, well, it's not just like God, right? Uh, he's not limited. He wasn't limited by COVID, and he's not limited by the war in Ukraine. Uh, but the God's on the move. So we're thankful for this for sure. Well, anyway, my task today is to talk to you about marriage. It's a hot button. I don't know why it's a hot button. Why is marriage a hot button? I mean, it's just, it's nothing to it, piece of cake. When I saw Ruth, I heard cellos. 
and the birds. And I just knew she's, she's the one and, and we've lived happily ever after. And if you believe that, you'd believe anything. <laughs> because that is fake news. That's exactly what that is. So we need to pray right now and ask God to help us as we, as we look into his word today, okay? Heavenly Father, uh, we're just glad to be together today in this place in the powerful name of Jesus we gather in this name and we eat this bread and we drink this cup and we remember you Jesus oh, amazing your love beyond our imagining really displayed so powerfully in your life and your teaching your brilliance your sacrificial death your powerful resurrection, your ascension to glory, where you're seated at the right hand of God, highest in the, in the universe. We worship you. Would you lead us now, Lord? We want our marriages and all our relationships, really, to reflect you and your goodness and your love and your grace and your truth. So help us now as we look into your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so the true story about Ruth and me is that we were married at 22 and we had 10 or so rough, really rough years. We really did. It was tough and I take a lot of the responsibility upon myself and we're going to talk a bit about that today as we, as we go through. But during that time, uh, the Lord began to show us, the Lord be, began to humble me as a man humble me and show me some things in the scriptures and show Ruth a few things too um, and that have helped us, really helped us in our married life and in fact I would say absolutely, drastically, totally and wonderfully changed our marriage relationship and so I'm grateful uh, for that I, and we give God all the praise and I think what we found and probably anybody who's married has found the same thing and some of you are singles I would guess and some of you are maybe, well, engaged, right? Of course, and ready to be married. And maybe others of you just the same or newlyweds and so on. Um, it's work. It's important to be intentional about this relationship that we have as husband and wife. It's really important because it's so easy to slide into just doing what we do because we do it. And, and instead of really being intentional at growing. So the, 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 there's a psychiatrist up in London, Christian psychiatrist, and a friend of mine asked him one time, what do you think is the major problem in the marriage relationships, many of them Christian, that you see? And he said, in a word, selfishness. I'm thinking, well, that's a little, <laughs> that's a little harsh, isn't it? Just a little harsh? But that's what he said. And then thinking back upon our relationship, I would say a lot of the things, you know, that um, my fault were that I was just selfish. There's things that I wanted that I wasn't thinking I was getting, and I was just selfish, and it led to issues. So anyway, I want you to know that here after 50 years of marriage, 50 years, my goodness. I mean, a lot of you over here, you, you have no idea what 50 <laughs> years even is, right? So, but anyway, I'm just saying that um, after 50 years, God has answered our prayers and has given us a very perfectly imperfect marriage 
and we're continuing to grow and learn. So I come to you humbly today as a person who's still learning about this. Okay. All right, we're going to look at two Bible passages today. The first one is a flyover, and the second one is a dig deep. All right? So, and these are two classic passages on marriage. There are actually hundreds of passages on marriage. Every passage that is a one another passage in the Bible is about marriage. You say, no, it's not. It's just about normal life. Well, marriage is normal life. And when, it, you know, when God says love one another, accept one another, be encourage one another, all these kind of things, it all has to do with marriage as well. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 25, and I'm going to see if I can get this thing going. Ephesians 5, 15 to 25. And I'd ask you to stand with me, please. I'm going to read it off the screen, and you can follow along with me. Um, and the question is, how do we intentionally cultivate a fresh, unselfish love in our marriage relationship? Or if you're single, in any relationship, how do we cultivate intentionally a fresh, unselfish, loving relationship? Ephesians 5, 15 to 25. I don't need my glasses. I'm reading off the screen. Here we go. We stand for the word of God, right? We don't worship the word of God. We worship the God who gave it to us, but we love the word of God. Here we go. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's read it together. Okay, I was not clear on my leadership there. Sorry. It's just. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. Now stop, 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 okay? I wanna read the next verse, and you listen, just listen for a minute. Wives, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. Did I miss anything? What did I miss? The word submit. Do you know why I skipped it? Because it is not in the Greek text. It's not in the Greek text. It is assumed from the verse before. The verse before says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, this is how you submit. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's very interesting because we'll look at this in a minute, but this passage, it, all, it, it flows, the whole thing flows together. So anyway, we'll keep going. Uh, now we'll pick it up again at 22 and, and go ahead and read the, verse, the whole thing. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Thank you. Please be seated. 
so uh, this is a beautiful passage. Um, and the question I want to ask is about the context of this passage with relationship to marriage. Why is this marriage instruction sandwiched between the passage that talks about the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is immediately before it in chapter 5. So you have the filling of the Holy Spirit, then you have the, to the topic of marriage, how a, a wife and a husband and so on, and then you have this spiritual battle at the end of chapter 6, wrapping up the whole letter, saying that we need to put on the whole armor of God here and stand against this enemy because we have an enemy who's against us. Why is the marriage sandwiched between those two? And I'd like to give you the answer. It's because we cannot have a loving, fulfilling, Christ-centered marriage relationship without being filled with the Spirit and without understanding that we're in a spiritual battle. And there's a spiritual battle for our marriage, for our relationship. The whole idea about being filled with the Spirit, um, if it, it, it says, um, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, if I was speaking with Ruth all the time uh, about uh, spiritually uplifting things, would that make me an easier person to live with? Say, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If I was walking so closely with the Lord every day, singing and making melody in my heart to the Lord all day long, would I be an easier person to live with? If I was thankful to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it true that you, you like being around thankful people? Is this true? And so, and the last part is submitting yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mutually, mutually submitting to one another. Submit, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful word. It means to put under, to put my needs under the needs of the other person. Sub, submarine, sub, under, put. So we put our needs under the need of the other person. Wouldn't that be kind of a nice person to live with? These, these are so, so important. So this filling with the Holy Spirit is so important to us being the kind of people that the Lord wants us to be. The other part of it about the enemy is that we have an enemy. Do you know that? We have an enemy who wants to wreck your life and who wants to wreck your marriage. He is a stinking, rotten, enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy in your relationships. He wants to kill your love. And he wants to rob you of the chance of having a fulfilling, loving relationship. He's an awful enemy. So we need to keep that in mind. We need, I need to be filled with the Spirit, and I need to remember that it's the, the devil who wants to destroy things all around me. So this idea of mutual submission, um, you know, I mean, it's a really key part of the passage here. Let each of you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This submit means to put under, as I've said, to put my needs and wants 
under another person's needs and wants, to, which means to put their needs and wants above mine, right? So imagine how this is. If I actually do this with Ruth, I put her needs and her desires above my own, and she does the same for me. She puts my needs and my desires above, above her. We, we wouldn't be selfish. Is that true? If, if I'm thinking of her needs and her desires more than mine, I'm not selfish, which is probably you know, the key issue in a lot of marriages. We, we keep in mind this mutual submission filling up of the Holy Spirit, um, one of the keys to our marriage, indeed. Mutual submission. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, I have found that submission is hardest for a woman. And Ruth has found that submission is hardest for a man. And mutual submission, I mean, it's just tough to put our needs below somebody else's needs, right? And yet, this is precisely what Jesus wants for us to be. Did Jesus submit? Did he put his needs above the needs of others? Or did he put his needs under our needs? Oh, my God. And I mean that with reverence. Did he ever? Philippians 2, he's God. Equality with God is not something to be grasped. And he humbled himself. He, he submitted himself. He emptied himself and became you know, down to be a human. But not just a human. He took the form of a servant, lower still. Not just a servant, but a slave, lower still. Not just a slave, but even to the point of death. Not just any death, but death. Death on a cross, which is the worst of the worst, solo. He submitted, he put his need to live, he, he put it under our need for salvation. What a savior. So why would I ever submit myself to, to the needs of Ruth? So if I'm gonna follow Jesus, <laughs> I've gotta do this, don't I? So I have, Ruth and I have a Christian friend, a man, who, when, when we were looking at this passage together, he said, no, this, the passage ends right there, before the wives and husbands. That's about filling with the Spirit. That has nothing to do with being married. I will never submit to my wife. She submits to me. I'm the head of the house. She submits to me. Now, how do you think his marriage is going? Honestly, I'm telling you, it's been rocky. His, he's like, got five kids, and they all say, mom and dad they're fighting all the time honestly it's awful they don't see Jesus in their mom and dad's relationship this is not how God intended it to be so this mutual submission thing it's really quite a beautiful thing it really is so it says wives submit to your husbands and then it says husbands you know love your wives in a submissive way like Jesus did so um, let's, let's look at these things. There are four, four Greek words for love. You Probably many of you know this already. In English, we have just one word for love. It's just love. So I can love my new socks, or I can love my wife. 
it's not exactly the same thing you'd have to say, right? So here, the four, the four terms for love, eros, erotic love, sexual love, ooh la la, a beautiful gift for marriage, right? Not to be stolen outside of marriage. You with me? We don't steal. So beautiful gift within marriage. Storge love, family love. It's the kind of love that parents have for their children. Phila-o love, love for friends and equals. So, you know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, where there's so much crime and so on. <laughs> it's not working there, but anyway, that's what the word means. And agape love. So this is the fourth kind of love. This is God's love. This is absolutely unique love. This is a love, this is the decision to love someone and to seek their best interests of the other person. It's this selfless kind of love to seek the best interest of the other person. And this is the kind of love that Jesus displayed for us, right? On the cross, this agape love. And that's the kind of love that God says a husband is to love his wife in this way, seeking her good and seeking her the best interest of the wife. It's a very high kind of a, a love. So let's look at this question. How does God call a wife to submit to her husband? And I think we have to blast before we build. So let's blast first of all. What is it not? Submission. It is not being inferior. Would you agree with me? The husband and the wife, the man and the woman, God made us male and female in his image absolutely equal. Absolutely equal. There is nothing inferior about being a woman. It's not being inferior at all to, to submit to someone else. It's not being passive or being silent. That's a huge misunderstanding, right? Why did God give brains to your wife, gentlemen, if she's just supposed to shut up and sit down? Do I say, can I say that in church? You know, you just... We're partners together. So it's not being silent. Men need the wisdom and the insight that God gives to their wives. So, and it's not without fulfillment either because wives, you have the opportunity to help your husband be the greatest person that he, he can be, to, to help him to have input into his life. So what is it then? It is an attitude of the heart. Nobody can force a woman to submit. Force never works. Force never produces love from the other person. Mr. Putin will understand this sometime. He really will. But in a marriage, force can never produce love coming from the other person. Never works. So it's a choice on the part of a wife to say, this is my husband. God has given him to me. I'm going to be on his team. I'm not going to fight him. I'm going to be on his team. We're going to work together on things here. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a ministry to the Lord because as the scripture says here, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word is actually out of fear of Christ. It's phobos in Greek. It means that I esteem Jesus so much that I don't want to do anything to displease him or to work against him. So if he says I'm going to submit, I'm going to submit. It's a ministry to the Lord. He loves it. And it's also a ministry to the husband because 
helping him to become the best man of God that he can become is a, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I've got a story for you, and that's about the mayor of Philadelphia. I think I might have told you this story before, but that's okay. The mayor of Philadelphia and his wife were traveling home from work, and they stopped for gas. The gas station guy comes out, looks right past the mayor, looks at the wife and says, Sue, is that you? She looks back, Joe, is that you? And so they get out, and while he's pumping gas, they're talking away, and the mayor is just sitting in the car. What's going on here? So when they pay the bill, she hops back in the car, and they head for home. And the mayor looks at his wife and says, well, honey, who's Joe? Well, you know, Joe, was. we went to high school together, and well, we were really good friends, and actually I kind of thought I was in love with him. I actually thought I was going to marry him at one point. And the mayor looks at him, and he puffs his chest up like this. He says, well, just think of it, honey. If you had married Joe, you would have been the wife of a gas station guy, not the wife of the mayor of Philadelphia. And she says, oh, no, honey. If I had married Joe, he would have been the mayor of Philadelphia. (laughs) So there's a wife with a strong self-concept. She understands that husbands and wives can help one another to be more than they they were. And uh, also, the mayor has an ego problem, wouldn't you say? Because there's nothing wrong with being a gas station guy. Nothing inferior about that either. So we do, we have the privilege of helping each other to be all that we can become. So how does God call a wife to submit to her husband in those ways? How does God call a man to submit to his wife? And so sometimes as men, we get hung up on the thing, oh, I'm the head. I don't submit to anybody. I'm the hoss, the head hoss. What, what is that word anyway? <laughs> Whatever. So it is not, let's blast and then we'll build. It is not being a dictator in the home. It's not. If we're submitting, mutually submitting, we put our needs below the other person. It's not being a dictator. It's not being superior because we're absolutely equal. It's not being the exclusive decision maker. I need Ruth's input as we make decisions together, and it's not being always right. I'm just saying that in our 15 years of marriage, I've been drastically wrong a number of times. (laughs) And Ruth has helped me that when together we put together, we come up with a better decision as, as a couple. So it's not being always right. What is it? For me to submit to Ruth, for a man to submit to his wife, it's loving her like Jesus. Agape loving her. Putting my needs below her needs, serving her, loving her like Jesus. Being a minister to her. Praying with her. Praying for her. Getting around the Bible together. And, um, and you may say, well, man, my wife knows the Bible a lot better than I do. I, if I do that, I look like an idiot. Forget it. Get over it. Just say, come on, let's, let's share some stuff from the Bible here, okay? What are you learning these days? And grow together. Being a minister to her, seeking her best interest, and helping her to become the best woman of God that she can become. Well, how do we do this? The last 
That's our flyover, okay? Now we're gonna dig deep at 1 Peter 3, 7, and here it is right here. And I'm just saying that this verse, 1 Peter 3, 7, I would say changed our marriage relationship. It did. How could one verse do that? But it really did. It changed my whole attitude about what it means to be a husband. And I will say that um, when I was over in Africa teaching with Ron Seabrook, that um, I taught on this topic and this verse, 1 Peter 3, 7, one year, and the next year, a, a guy came back, a pastor came back, and he handed me this. Do you know what this says? Huh? It is an ostrich egg. It's exactly what it is. And this wife had beaded. You see the beads all around? She had beaded this thing, and it sent it back with her husband the next year. And so he comes up to me, and he says, um, uh, my wife wants you to have this. I'm thinking, really? Like, what for? He says, well, last year I was here for that teaching uh, about husbands, and I went back home, and I, I treated her differently. And she wants you to have this because she's really thankful for that teaching. And I'm thinking, well, thank you, Lord. This is a very precious, this is very precious to me, do you know? It's very precious because it shows that God uses his word to make a difference in people's lives and to change marriage relationships. So let's take a look at this. First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands. Now the context here is that it comes out of the first part of 1 Peter 3, which is talking about how wives submit to their husbands. Now, this says, likewise. So husbands, here's how you submit to your wife. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor. Another translation says, giving her honor, giving her respect, giving her honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, huh, do you like being, do you like being called a weaker vessel? We'll talk about it in a minute, okay? <laughs> As a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. All right, where are we going with this? Here are some principles from this text. One, live with your wife. It says, husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. Live with your wife. Live with her. When we were first married, I was out five nights a week doing church stuff and playing sports. I really like sports. Um, I was not living with my wife. Oh, I was living with her. Of course, I was home. We had a couple of kids, so obviously we were living together somehow or other. But do you know what I'm saying? I was busy with all kinds of other things and not spending time cultivating this relationship at home. I wasn't really living with her. And when I was at home, I was distracted with other stuff. And so um, I was not living with her. So the idea then of when we're home to really be home is to leave work at work and to come home and to say, okay, Lord, I'm coming home now. Help me to really focus on my marriage relationship. If we have kids, upon raising our kids, I need to focus now here and to really be home when we're home. Does that make sense? Live with her is the first thing. Know your wife. Live with her according to knowledge is literally what it says. Know her. 
I did not take time studying Ruth for the first years of our marriage. But when I did, I got to know her more and to appreciate her more and to be able to be a better husband, to know her, to understand her, to make her the object of your diligent study. So, for example, uh, physically, how, men, do you know, how's your wife doing physically these days? Is she tired? Is she exhausted? What does she need? Does she need a night off? Does she need a couple of nights off? Does she need a week away? Um, does she need a walk after supper? Just go for a walk and a talk. How's she doing physically? How's she doing emotionally? You know, the pressures that are on a, a, a wife, and uh, you know, there are wives who are working outside the home, there are wives who had ki have kids at home. There are wives who are in the sandwich generation where you're trying to care for your parents, but you also have kids, and the pressure that's on. Do you, men, do you know how your wife is actually doing emotionally? Um, spiritually, how's she doing? How's your wife doing? Is she growing? Is she encouraged in the Lord? And what could you do to help? Besides pray with her and pray for her. Could you say like Wednesday night, or I don't know what night it is here, but... Wednesday night, there's a women's Bible study. I'll take care of everything at home. You just go, enjoy the women, enjoy the study, be refreshed, be built up. What are her hopes? What are her dreams? What are her ideas? Know her. That's what God is saying here. Live with her according to knowledge. Give her honor is the third thing that comes out here. Honor, the, the, the Hebrew word is means heavy. Give her words heaviness for you. I think I took Ruth's ideas and opinions very lightly to start, but to begin to really value the things that she says, the values that she, uh, that she expresses, the thoughts, and so on, to really um, make them heavy in my thinking. They're important. They're really worth listening to. Um, and to honor her somehow. For example, you're sitting around the table with your kids at supper and you say, kids, give me your attention. I said, kids, give me your attention. And they give you your attention. And then you say, okay, I want you to know. This woman, who's your mother, you guys are so fortunate. You may not appreciate this right now, but one day you will. This is an unusually wonderful mother for you. God has blessed you. See, honoring her, lifting her up, giving her honor. Um, love languages. Do you know the love languages? Like, like time together or something like that. That would be like for Ruth, time together is one of those things. So you can imagine me out five nights a week and one of her love languages is time together. Like I'm just, every time I go out, I'm saying, I care more about baseball than I do you. But to make time together or to do acts of service or whatever the love language is, is, is a way of honoring her and really lifting her up. Honor her. Why? Because she is a priceless gift from God, like a weaker vessel. Oh, boy. What does that say? Um, giving her honor 
as the weaker vessel. It's a simile. It's, it's a, there's a likeness. But also the term weaker vessel is an idiom. Who knows what an idiom is? English. <laughs> Any English teachers? An idiom is a word or phrase that cannot be taken literally. There's nothing literal about it. Um, for example, I, I went on a, a mission trip with a friend of mine who's he's a Hulk. He's basically the Hulk. He's really big. So we were over in Romania, and we were teaching a bunch of pastors and leaders over there, and it was an afternoon, and we wanted to play a little soccer. And in the middle of this field was a rock, big rock. So he goes over, and he picks up this big rock, and he just goes like this. He comes walking over, and then he drops the rock off the field, and he comes back like this. And one of the, one of the Romanian guys looks at him and says, Russian bear. <laughs> Now, that's an idiom. He was not Russian, and he was not a bear. But we know what, what the idiom means, right? So what on earth is a weaker vessel? And I think about, it's not to be taken literally. And it's not, because I wonder, what's, what's weaker about Ruth? Intellectually, she's smart. And men, your wife is smart. Um, intellectually, uh, emotionally, Ruth is more emotionally in touch with stuff than I am, honestly. I can just right over top of it, you know? Um, um, emotionally, intellectually, uh, spiritually. Oh, most women are more spiritually in touch than most men. Have you noticed this? Why around the world are there more women in churches than there are men? Because God has put something in the heart of a woman that, uh, that a man really needs to listen to, a spiritual sensitivity, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. I think I could out-wrestle Ruth. I actually like to, by the way, but that's a little too much information today, <laughs> I would say. So what's weaker about her? It's, that doesn't mean weaker. It just says treat her like a weaker vessel. Now, in, that, in those days, in Jesus' days, they had a lot of vessels in the houses, right? They would have stronger vessels and weaker vessels. And a vessel is just a container that contains liquids. So this would be a stronger vessel, would you say? This is a stronger vessel. You can treat this any old way you want. It's not going to break. You can slap it around. You can abuse it. You can kick it into tomorrow. It's a stronger vessel. This is a weaker vessel. It's beautiful. It's, uh, help me again, what is it? It's crystal, I knew it was crystal. And what's the, what's the thing on the other? Cornflower, it's a cornflower crystal. See, I knew that. <laughs> but it's precious. This was a gift to us from Ruth's mom, and it's something that we treasure. Um, it's precious. I am to treat my wife as I would treat a weaker vessel. She's not weaker, but I'm to treat her as if she's precious 
to be treasured as a gift from God because that's exactly what she is. A beautiful, precious gift from God. Treat her like a weaker vessel. And that's why God says in his word here, give her honor as a weaker vessel, like a weaker vessel. Because she is also an equal heir of God's grace. That's the next part of it. An equal heir of God's grace. So the way I became a Christian is exactly the same way Ruth became a Christian. Is the way we all become Christians, men and women, by faith in Jesus Christ. We trust him. We were just equal, absolutely equal heirs of God's grace. And then finally is this idea of the consequence. Boy, this is where you read this thing and you say, um, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That's how it ends up. What's the consequence? If I don't honor my wife, what happens to my prayers? And it's always fascinating to me how the vertical is so connected to the horizontal. They cannot ever be separated. That the business of my... Uh, of my being connected to God, I need to be connected to God so his love comes into me so that I can love people around me in the way I should. But the flip side of it is, if I'm not loving, if I'm not honoring the way I should here, if there's a break in this relationship, there's also a break in this one. Does this make sense? We're, we're totally connected together this way. And that's why Jesus, in his wisdom, in his love, he says, look, honor Mutually submit to one another. Put the needs of the other above your own. Um, live with her. Be, be present with her. Really come to know her. Give her honor as, as you treat a priceless, priceless vessel and um, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The beautiful thing, I think, is this, that as we work intentionally to cultivate our marriage relationships with one another, we're strengthened in our spiritual life as well because they're totally connected together. Now, I'm going to conclude with this idea. I can't do this. I'm not good at this. I can't do this on my own. I need the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life every day. I need to be filled up with the Spirit because if I'm not filled up with the Spirit, I'm filled up with myself. And so I need the filling of the Holy Spirit every day and it all comes back to my personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that I'm yoked together with him. We're in a yoke together. He's right beside me. He's got his arm around me and he sees me. And when I fail in this relationship, I don't honor Ruth properly. I look at him he looks at me and he says, I saw that. Yeah, I know. And he says, you better go and ask for forgiveness, eh? I say, yeah, yeah, you're right sorry, forgive me. He says, I've already forgiven you. Just get over there and talk with her. So we're walking with the Lord in this relationship. 1 John 4, 7 says, love one another for love comes from God. See, love one another for love comes from God. We do not have the capacity to agape love one another 
the way we should unless we're born of God and we keep walking with God. Absolute dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we fail, when I fail, perfect love steps in and that's the Lord Jesus. Perfect agape love steps in and he says, it's okay, come on. Let's go and apologize. We'll keep working on this together. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. We thank you, Lord God Almighty, that you've made a plan for marriage and that you really want us to mutually submit to one another to put the needs of the other above our own and care for each other like this. That you want us, Lord, to have agape love towards one another and as partners to work together and for a husband to really honor and esteem his wife, to give her a place of honor in his, in his life. And Lord, that uh, we will cultivate our relationships and that as we do this, um, the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ will be seen in our relationships and our kids will see Christ in us and that we'll honor you in all these things. Strengthen us, help us, Lord Jesus, as we walk with you, our wonderful Savior and our Lord Jesus. We praise you and we thank you today in your powerful name. Amen.